0: Hopefully all of you had a wonderful week it's sunday november 5th 2023 i want to welcome you all to our Sheepgate fellowship sunday service um, certainly it's wonderful once again to be with you all in the house of the lord to worship together our heavenly father uh, grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ as we are invited to worship him uh, let's remember god and remember the gospel as we rise from our seats and recite together the apostles creed as a confession of our faith Uh, it is on the screen for those who do need it the apostles creed i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ god's only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to hell on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of the father And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'd like to read from Psalm 84, verses 10 to 11 as a call to worship. And I ask that you prayerfully consider the words of the psalmist. If it helps, you can certainly close your eyes. And This is the words of Psalm 84, 10 to 11. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly along with sinners. Amen. Let me quickly pray for us, and then I'll lead us in a time of response and confession. Gracious God, we thank you this afternoon as you gather us, your people of God, the body of Christ, to worship you uh, along with thousands, if not millions of people around the world today as we celebrate um, and we remember Christ uh, by gathering together in the sanctuary to worship you, to lift songs and prayers, to read from your word and hear your word preached we ask, O oh God, the Spirit, to be with us at this time. As the psalmist has declared, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that, Lord, we are in the house um, of your people and of you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that we will be reminded of uh, what it means to be one who walks uprightly, and what it means that you are a God uh, who gives grace and glory. Let us be reminded of these things. Let us be reminded of the person of Christ and the accomplished work of the cross. We thank you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me allow me to read to you Hebrews 10, verses 21 to 23. I think it'll lead us um, properly into a time of confession of sin. Hebrews 10. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for for he who promised is faithful. Brothers and sisters, this time let's silently pray, a prayer in our hearts, a confession of sin. I don't know how often you take time during your week uh, to pray such prayers of confession, but I hope that this time would perhaps act as a model or as a template for you in your daily lives uh, to pray uh, a prayer of repentance as you come before God. Yes, He's holy and He's righteous and we are not, but we're reminded of course of our mediator Christ who bridges um, God our Father to us And uh, we ask that this, or I ask at this time that you would only uh, be reminded uh, of sin so that you would confess it before Christ um, and be reminded of his shedding of blood on our behalf uh, that we would be washed of those things. Um, So let's pray at this time as we confess our sins before God as the Spirit reveals to us. Let's take a moment to pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, merciful and everlasting God, we acknowledge and confess before your divine majesty that we are poor sinners, prone to evil and ever falling short of goodness. We've transgressed your commandments and worthy of your wrath and anger. But God, we repent and are sorry from the depth of our hearts that we have so displeased you. We pray that your grace may bring help to our distress. Be pleased, therefore, to have mercy upon us, for you are most gracious. Forgive us all our sins. Through the holy sufferings of your dear son lord jesus christ grant us now the gifts of your holy spirit increase these in uh, these in us each day that we may repent that sin may be destroyed in us and that we may bring forth the fruits of righteousness and a pure life that are pleasing to you pray this in christ's name amen be assured brothers and sisters of your pardon first john 1:9 reads if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness praise be to god for this truth i'd like to direct your attention to the screen uh, where heidelberg question number 24 asks how are these articles divided the articles in reference to the apostles creed right so the different statements that are listed there and uh, they are listed into three parts if you're familiar with the apostles creed in any way or have done any kind of extensive study Uh, The the answer reads into three parts. It's divided. The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. And then the third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Let me to read to you from a commentary on the Heidelberg. It reads, Among the various religions of the world, one is unique. The Christian religion is unique because it has a doctrine of God that sets it quite apart. This doctrine can be stated in three simple propositions. One, There is only one true God. Two, the true God exists in three persons. And three, each of the three persons is distinct from the other two. We know that this is so because God has revealed it to us. In the Bible, the true God has gradually made himself known to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say gradually because God did not suddenly grant the whole content of this revelation to us. No, it was given over a long period of time. The Bible puts it like this. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these days last spoken to us by his son. Hebrews 1, 1-2. I think it's a healthy reminder of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, uh, at this time, we're going to uh, have communion as we do on the first Sunday of each month. So I'm going to invite Reverend Park to come up and uh, I will translate uh, as he leads us uh, in Korean and then... Um, we will have this time together as we partake in the bread and the wine.
1: 네, 사랑하는 여러분, 성찬식은 예수님께서 제리 마실 때까지 그의 죽으심을 기억하고 그의 은혜를 감사하는 예식입니다. 나는 성부와 성자와 성령의 이름으로 여러분을 이 성만찬에 초대합니다. 우리 모두 성령 안에서 예수 그리스도의 십자가의 사랑을 체험하는 시간이 되시기를 바랍니다.
0: Uh, dearly beloved, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament that our Lord Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to do in remembrance of him till his return. It is to remember his death, his grace, um, his, and the hope is that those who partake in the Lord's Supper are unified in Christ and are reconciled as a community in him. And so Reverend Park has expressed to us that he invites us in the name of the Son, the Holy, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, that the Spirit will work powerfully in us as we partake in the elements this afternoon. Let us pray.
1: 자비하신 하나님, 지금 우리는 우리의 죄를 위해 살이 찢기시고 피를 흘려 주신 예수님의 십자가를 체험하고자 합니다. 우리가 믿음으로 주님의 떡을 먹고 주님의 잔을 마실 때에 성령 안에서 십자가의 사랑을 깨닫게 해 주옵소서. 예수 그리스도의 이름으로 기도드립니다. O Living God,
0: help us at this time to reflect on Your Son, Jesus Christ, whose flesh was torn and whose blood was spilled. On our behalf, may we receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ by faith. May the Spirit work in us at this time to remember His death and His atonement on the cross on our
1: behalf. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 주님께서 잡히시던 밤이었습니다. 우리 주님은 사랑하는 제자들과 함께 마지막 식사를 하셨습니다. 그때 떡을 들어 축사하셨습니다. 그리고 이 떡을 떼시면서 말씀하십니다. 이것은 너희를 위하여 상하고 찢긴 내 몸이다. 받으라, 먹으라 우리 주님이 명령하셨습니다. 이제 주님의 명령대로 주님의 떡을 함께 받겠습니다.:
0: It was the night of our Lord's arrest. Our Lord was eating the final Passover meal with his loving disciples. And at that time he took the bread and blessed it. And as he broke the bread, he spoke these words, "This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it." The Lord commanded them. And as he commanded, we too will take and eat at this time. Uh, Two reminders before we begin. First, we welcome those who are professing and confessing believers of Jesus Christ, followers of him, to partake in elements this afternoon. If you are not a believer, or not baptized or confirmed in the faith, or perhaps are dealing with unrepentance in one's heart, or confusion, or a sense of uh, perhaps a lack of assurance in your salvation, whatever the case may be, we ask that you refrain from taking the elements, not to exclude you from the community, uh, but more so for your sake and uh, that you would contemplate perhaps the gospel truth and the truth of Jesus Christ at this time in your seats and prayerfully consider the claims of the Christian faith. For the rest of you who are um, uh, believers, we ask you to come up uh, on the right hand side, so your right hand side of the middle aisle. Uh, Take one piece of bread, return to your seats, and then we will eat together. So we'll start with the back rows. If you can come up and uh, we'll just line up as we go, as we always do.
1: 몸의 살이 찢기시고 우리를 위해서 죽으신 주님을 생각하면서 같이 들겠습니다.
0: As we remember Christ and his body broken for us, let us eat.
1: 우리 주님은 식후에 잔을 들어 축사하셨습니다. 그리고 그 잔을 사랑하는 제자들에게 주시면서 이렇게 말씀하십니다. 이것은 너희를 위하여 흘리는 내 피다. 너희와 나 사이에 맺어진 새 언약의 피다. 받으라, 마시라, 명령하셨습니다. 이제 주님의 말씀대로 이 잔을 받겠습니다.
0: After the meal, our Lord lifted his cup and he blessed it. And as he gave his cup to his loving disciples, he spoke these words, This is my blood poured out for you. The new covenant established between you and i take it and drink he commanded them we will now take this cup as the lord directed so in the same sense from the back rows we'll start on the right hand side of the middle aisle you can come up and take one cup return to your seats and wait until everyone has received again we ask that uh, the believing community to be partakers in the elements this afternoon
1: 사랑에서 흘려주신 예수님의 흘리신 보혈의 피를 생각하면서 같이 들겠습니다. As you remember the blood of Christ poured out for us, let us drink. 기도하겠습니다. Let us pray. 사랑의 하나님, 우리는 지금 믿음으로 예수님의 살을 먹고 예수님의 피를 마셨습니다. 이제부터 우리는 예수 그리스도의 십자가의 사랑을 영원히 기억하겠습니다. 또한 우리는 하나님의 자녀로서 하나님을 사랑하고 하나님의 말씀을 지키고 복음을 전하며 이웃을 사랑하며 섬기겠습니다. 예수 그리스도의 이름으로 기도드립니다. Oh, living God, we thank you. By faith, we have eaten the body of Christ, drank His
0: blood. We will forever remember the grace of the cross of Christ, and we will serve the body of Christ as a loving community with our brothers and sisters, which we've now become part of through our union with Christ. We pray all this in His name. Amen.
1: 사랑하는 여러분들이요. 우리는 예수님의 몸인 교회에 지체들입니다 서로 사랑하고 서로 섬기며 하나님의 나라를 위해서 생명의 복음을 전합시다. 서로. Dearly beloved, we're now members of Christ's body. who proclaim the gospel of Christ, serve the kingdom of God as we love one another and serve each other. 예, 여러분 이제 성만찬을 마치면서 옆에 분들하고 인사하실 때 예수님은 당신을 어, 여러분 마음대로 표현하세요. 뭐 많이 사랑합니다. we'll
0: have a passing of peace at this time as we greet one another so you can declare to one another that christ loves you dearly or any other way of you like to express Christ's love to one another i'll take a moment to pass the peace you may greet one another for the cups they are disposable so you can just collect them and then uh just make sure you throw them out in the uh in a proper garbage disposal bin when you get a chance Thank you, Reverend Park, for leading us in a time of communion. As we gather back together, let's bow our heads in prayer. I'll pray for us, um, for not just this community and what's going on here, but also for some various um, aspects of things that are happening in the world So we can continue to deal with some tragedies. Um, so we'd like to just lift some prayers of intercession for those things, and then our praise team will lead us in a time of singing. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time that we have been able to spend for the last few minutes in remembering Christ, his body broken for us, and his blood poured out for us. It's not a reminder we ought to take for granted. It's not a reminder that we don't need. As, even as believers, we are to be reminded of the truth of the gospel of Christ because um, we are so prone to forget. God, we thank you for the reminder. Lord, we also thank you for the community that we're part of here. And we pray for some of our members. We pray for Hani and Esther as they're. Uh, nearing uh, time of the arrival of their first child we pray for good health and we pray for a healthy delivery of this child and for blessings upon them to prepare them to be a mother and a father and uh, establishing a household of faith that is founded on the rock of christ we pray that you be with them in their wisdom um, as they become parents god we also pray uh, for john and Leanne who are going through an extraordinary season in their life of great difficulty, we can't understand the storm that they're going through, Um, and we ask, O Lord, that the fear that might occupy their hearts, and the anxiety that might continuously poison them, Lord, that you would help them to continuously turn to Christ and find the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Lord, be with them in every way possible. Heavenly Father, we also pray uh, for what's happening in Israel and Gaza at this moment. Uh, We, in this last week, have already observed um, immense tragedy Uh, tragedy that began on october 7th with the lost lives on the israeli side and now lost lives on the gaza side lord um, the loss of life is for whatever reason is never uh, pleasant and it's never good we believe in the sanctity of life we ask oh god for the preservation of life in that area and that uh, you would help them um, by means that only you can uh, as humanitarian aid continues to flow in as foreign passport holders are allowed to leave uh, to parts of Egypt as um, as the uh, Israeli army continues its invasion into the northern part of Gaza. We ask, O oh Lord, for innocent lives, especially the civilians and especially the children, that, Lord, you would just protect them and, and be with them in safety. I know it's hard to imagine where they could possibly go. So, Lord, would you just grant uh, some means, some way where those lives could be preserved. Um, we mourn the loss, and we ask, O oh Lord, you be with those who are truly hurting at this hour and uh, that you be with them. We understand that there's a church in Palestine. We understand there's a church in in, uh, Israel. So God, would you just be um, with those believers, the faithful men and women on both sides, that perhaps they can be a a voice of resolution um, and the Lord ultimately uh, as believers all over the world um, that we understand that this is a fallen world with fallen realities and it doesn't uh, make uh, dealing with these realities any easier. Uh, But it gives us uh, hope in the midst of darkness, for we understand your light in the darkness of this world. We thank you, God, uh, for everything that you do and you continuously do in the lives of all of us here. I also pray for the students here, God, uh, as they go through their studies and as they go through seasons of their life, Lord, uh, where they are under education, would you just be with them and help them, God, to uh, be fervent in their studies and also to be faithful in what they do? And uh, for all of us to be faithful heralds of the gospel of christ uh, wherever we may be found we thank you we ask that this time at this time that you be pleased by the, the songs that we lift to you may you be honored and glorified we pray all this in christ's name amen. amen let's rise from our seats and we'll sing together Continue our sermon series uh, in a text that I really should have read last week. I told you a little bit about my procrastination. Um, But we're in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. Uh, We completed chapter 9 two weeks ago, of course, dealing with um, some warnings that Jesus gives us. Um, And we saw some of the, uh, the teachings that he gives in regards to people who, you know, cause others to stumble or stuff like that, right? So on the heels of this, Jesus, remember, uh, in context, is still on his way south to Jerusalem from the northern regions of, the Gal- of Galilee. So here we are in chapter 10, and what starts in chapter 10 are three teachings on stewardship. The first being stewardship over marriage, which we'll read today in verse 1 to 12, and then next week we'll look at 13 to 16 on stewardship over children, and then stewardship over finances, so riches, in uh, verse 17, the famous story of the young rich ruler. Let's begin in Mark 10, verses 1 to 12. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. I'll read from mine. You can follow in yours. This is the word of God. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Amen. Now you can see in the reading of this text why uh, it took me two weeks to prepare the sermon. It's a little bit difficult to preach a text strictly on marriage and divorce. It's a quite specific and practical type of lesson. But even in this, we see... light of the gospel. So we'll get there. Our sermon is entitled, From the Beginning of Creation. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time and era in which marriage has been redefined and is being reimagined, but not necessarily to affirm the institution and affirm the covenant of marriage, at least in a biblical sense, but rather to diminish it, right? It's interesting, they don't hope, the world doesn't hope to diminish marriage, it hopes to redefine it, The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us in chapter 24 that it is lawful for all sorts of people, and when it says all sorts, it means believer, non-believer, other religious people, to marry, who are able with judgment to give their consent. So it can't be forced upon them, it must be done uh, with consent. This speaks to two realities. We observe in both the religious and non-religious world that marriage is coveted as something natural to the right of the person or in other words there is a natural inclination in all of us that love is in a sense secured by the right of marriage the second reality is this that god has gifted marriage and its experience to all people all people now and that doesn't mean that same-sex marriage is viable Because marriage is still defined within the parameters of being a union between one man and one woman, according to Genesis, which also nullifies, of course, polygamy. Can't have multiple partners. There is a definition to marriage, biblically, that constitutes it as as being marriage in the eyes of the Lord. But it is, by His grace, marriage available to all who would desire and adhere to that definition. Some have asked asked me, like, um, in the Christian faith, do we marry non-believers two non-believers absolutely by pca standards i'm going through the bco the book of church order right now the bco would state yes we can marry two non-believers what we wouldn't or who we wouldn't have uh, oversee a marriage over are same-sex couples any polygamous couples and then a believer and a non-believer is not um, necessarily recommended or prescribed uh, to oversee um, in marriage for pastors anyways So there is a definition to marriage, right, that constitutes it as marriage, as the Bible defines. And of course, this is rooted for us and explained to us in creation, for we see that marriage is something that God institutes before the fall. In Genesis 2, we read of it. It's something that is rooted in the very design of the human and of the world. Unfortunately, what we see today in much of the modern Western world is a deviation from this very design both in defining marriage and in keeping it a quick search on Global News Canada revealed a few articles I wanted to see what you know most of the sources I take are from like American sources so I wanted to see what the Canadian sort of um, and sometimes in, in, in this particular area I think the Canadian source is a little bit more enlightening for us but anyways a quick search on Global News Canada revealed a few articles all I did was type marriage and divorce and this is what I got And some of the headlines that really stood out to me. And they really demonstrate these headlines sort of the trend, the social trend in society. Here's one article, it's entitled, Prenups are getting more popular among millennials. I read the whole article and it really revealed a lot. Uh, But there's a lot of reasons why uh, particular lawyers and other people who went through through this process identify why millennials are uh, choosing to have prenups. It speaks of course to the rise of divorce in our culture and in our time. The article quotes one specialist who says, millennials are a lot more pragmatic when it comes to money. People also see the value in having a prenup if they are coming from a broken home, I thought that was pretty revealing, and have lived through a divorce. Another article is entitled, Alberta Family Lawyer Offering a Simpler, Friendlier Way to Divorce. Don't read that one, that one's pretty bad. (laughs) Then In Japan, Here's an article uh, regarding uh, marriage in Japan. In Japan, many are opting to live separately despite being legally married in order to have a better lifestyle. Some are even forming a weekend arrangement, it's called weekend marriages, where they only couple up during the weekends and go on to live separate lives in separate residences during the week in an effort to have easier and more flexible relationships. Someone might ask why people are getting married at all. It speaks to the gravity of that natural inclination in us, doesn't it? It's like we want it, but we don't want it. Even in a world where marriage doesn't seem to make sense or appeal to sort of social, socially, cultural, uh, trendy needs, it's still practiced, it's still coveted, right? People still get married. I remember when I worked at Starbucks, I had a, I had a, a gay coworker. And uh, he wasn't like too radical in some of his, uh, you know, uh, stances on certain political, geopolitical or just political sort of issues. And um, I asked him the question, like, why are same sex couples so, or the community itself, the gay community, why is it so eager to be uh, partaking in the institution of marriage? Why are you so eager for that? I mean, technically, you could just live together, and you would enjoy, Essentially, like, no one's preventing you from having a relationship. Why is it so important to you that you are recognized as a married couple? Like, why is that so important to you, right? And he explained to me it's acceptance. It's social acceptance. It's breaking the paradigm of what marriage is, right? And I explained to him the biblical definition of marriage and why it was the case, and I said, would it bother you if the government allowed you to get so-called married but just called it something else? Right, just had a different name for it. And he said it would. It would bother him. Because it would make us different class of citizen. Right? I thought this was interesting. Even in communities that maybe don't fit the biblical definition of marriage, they want to be included into it. And it spoke a lot to me. Now I don't agree with his stance that same-sex marriage should be legalized, but I can understand the inclination of the human heart to want to have, in a sense, public acceptance that they are married. Do, do you get what I'm saying here? It's very, it was very enlightening to me to have this conversation with this person. Here's what we see, uh, or here's, here's an interesting thought that you might have. And one might easily think this, that we live in a unique and distinct time in history where these trends are new to humanity. But what we see in history, and if you, are his, if you are a bit of a history buff, you know this, is that in all of time, in all of human history, and even in the time in which Jesus walked on this earth at this point in Mark's gospel, we see that people have always broken the marital covenant and have always looked for reasons to diminish it. There are other natural instincts that pull at our hearts and our bodies. And so on the road to Jerusalem, we see now in chapter 10, In entrance by Jesus and the Twelve into the region of Judea, again a crowd gathers around Jesus and he teaches them, and in classic Mark fashion, we aren't given the teaching, but we're given the dialogue that follows it. So let's examine the text. I have two points to today's sermon. One, the heart of the Pharisees, and two, the heart of God. First point, the heart of the Pharisees. The Pharisees approach Jesus after his teaching, and immediately we're told that they are seeking to test him right? They sought to test Jesus. And it's not a test to test him to see if he can be trusted. It's not an iron sharpening iron situation here, but to test him, to trap him, to ensnare Jesus so that they could accuse him of some sort of false teaching, right? They want to diminish Jesus. Their desire is to have Jesus disgraced. These are men who were among the most popular, if not the most popular, in all of the Jewish tradition and world at the time. To have this new fellow on the scene who is not a Pharisee teaching with authority, performing miracles, challenging their teachings, and garnering more and more public fame would have been in their eyes an absolute threat. And the nature and intent of their question today to Jesus reveals just how malicious that these men had uh, had grown to become in their hostility towards Jesus. Now, the reason why this question directed to Jesus was a test is because the disputed element to divorce in Jewish law and practice was not whether or not divorce was permissible. So in Jewish law, divorce was permissible. It was allowed. People were allowed to divorce. So their question is not, are we allowed to divorce? The question is, on what grounds is it permissible to seek a divorce? So it just goes to show divorce was being practiced, right? So it was, a well known, it was well known at this time that this was permissible, but rather the question centers around on what grounds that one could seek a divorce. For what reason could one divorce their partner? This dispute is, to a lesser degree, I don't even know if I can say lesser, but to a different degree, ongoing in the church today, as multiple denominations have taken sort of different stances towards this. The Westminster divines, when we get to the chapter, felt, for example, that divorce was only permissible on the grounds of adultery or what they define as abandonment that cannot be resolved. So, if your partner just runs away and just says, Not going to live with this person anymore, and they go to another country and you never see them again, and it can't be resolved, we can't get them back, the vines say, Well, there's nothing we can really do about that. The marriage has been absolved. So, abandonment and adultery. The Jewish tradition at the time had three schools of thought on divorce, three schools of thought. Now, I won't like go into the history of these schools, but just understand there are three sort of different rabbinic teachings. I'll teach the first one. The first school of thought is the school of Shammai, and they thought that divorce was only allowed if one of the partners was unfaithful, whether it be the male or the female, irrelevant. So it had to be adultery, unfaithfulness in the marriage, right? And then the second is the school of Hillel. And the school of Hillel taught, and man, I wish I met these guys because these guys are crazy. They thought this. They thought that any person could see, well, specifically men. This was more of a very heavily sort of male-dominant school of thought. But they taught that any male could divorce their partner, their wife, uh, on on the, um, on the premise of any act of indecency. That's a direct um, quote of Deuteronomy 24. And they defined any act of indecency as anything as bad as adultery or anything as small as being bad at cooking. So you divorce your wife if her meals are bad. So it's kind of, I mean, School of Hillel makes me think how bad their wives were at cooking, that they would think this was grounds for divorce. And then Rabbi Akiba. The Akiban thought was this that any man could divorce his wife if he found, he writes, someone else fairer than her. Not fairer as in like justice, but more beautiful. Someone who could satisfy uh, his eyes or his body more than their current partner was grounds of divorce. I mean, that just speaks to adultery to me, but uh, crazy thoughts, right? So you can see the division in this. What they're not divided on is that you can seek a divorce. Divorce was permissible. What's disputed is Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 4, what does it mean when any indecent act? What does that mean? And that's what's being disputed by the Jews. So it just goes to show you the spectrum of thought. So in this context, they come to Jesus, Jesus would know all of this of course and they ask right is it lawful on what grounds right is it permissible so it just goes to show that although the divorce rate may have not been as high as it is during this time in our lives it was still something sought and it was a very real reality for the people of God during Jesus's time and so the question is brought forth by the Pharisees who held to this stance on the matter that divorce was permitted in accordance with Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, and that marriage was but a contract. This is how the Pharisees defined it. Marriage is but a contract between two parties that for the right reasons that had to be sort of, um, I guess in a way case-by-case analyzed, could be dissolved. It's a contract that could be dissolved. They likely suspected, this is what most scholars think, that Jesus had a radically different position. And so they wanted to attack Jesus on two grounds two grounds okay first politically how is it a political attack or how is it a political trap well they could point to Herod do you remember Herod the Tetrarch who married his sister-in-law right his brother's wife and it got really messy ended up with the beheading of John the Baptist right politically they could point to Herod and trap Jesus because if Jesus says well divorce is not allowed then they can accuse Jesus of claiming that he is saying that Herod committed a crime against God. So it's a political attack, right? They could accuse Jesus and ensnare him in that way. You are speaking against the Tetrarch, and they could have him killed that way, right? The other is this. They could attack Jesus on religious grounds. For if he says, and if he opposes divorce altogether, that he is opposing Mosaic law by quoting Deuteronomy 24. The point is this, the heart of the Pharisees was to trap Jesus, but what Jesus says in response points to, instead, the heart of God. His response tells us, firstly, the correct understanding of marriage before understanding divorce. That's the first correction that Jesus makes. And then privately, he then teaches us that the Pharisees were so distant in heart to the will of God that their obedience was, in large, purely pragmatic and hollow. And so that's not, obviously, by saying this, I'm telling you that Jesus is promoting us to have the right heart in our obedience to God. This was almost blind obedience. It was hollow obedience. It was a misunderstanding, and I'll get to why that is. So what is Jesus exactly telling us today? Point number two, the heart of God. He tells us this, that the heart of God, and therefore the heart of the believer, in light of the heart of God, ought not to be the pursuit of lowly, Permissibility, pursuing that which is permissible, finding out what is the minimum bar of acceptance. You know, you go to the roller coaster rides in Wonderland, what's the minimum height? That was always my issue. It's like, what's the minimum height here, right? I'm not tall, so I'm not really looking at maximum height, right? What's the minimum bar of acceptance here that I can be entered into this permissible ground of divorce? Jesus says, don't look at the minimum, instead look at the maximum, seeking that which is simply allowed is not good, it's not healthy for the believer, but rather that the Christian pursues obedience to that which is commanded. Don't seek that which is permissible. Seek to know what is commanded. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Jesus responds in verse 3, what did Moses command you? And so they quote Deuteronomy 24, and Jesus says that this commandment was given on the basis of the hardness of, a heart, of the heart of the, among God's people. That it wasn't prescriptive, but rather preventive for divorce. It meant to preserve marriage, not give reason to escape from it. It's not teaching reasons to divorce. It's teaching you how to keep a marriage alive, what a marriage entails, what a marriage ought to be. The pursuit or inquiry is all wrong. You don't ask on your wedding day, what is permissible within this marriage? What can I get away with in my covenant with you? I was hoping Drippa and uh, Jane would be here because they're getting ready for marriage, but they're not here. You ask for the highest level of commitment on your wedding day, right? You look at each other and you say, till death do us part. Richness, poorness, sickness, or health, I'm with you to the end. I was talking to John, his wife in stage four cancer, and he was saying the words till death do us part, means something so different to him now. Right? It's an incredible commitment, marriage. And you seek to do the most, not the least. I hope. I hope your marriage is not being marked by, I did the lowest I possibly could (laughs) do, but instead I did the most. And you seek that level of high commitment, not just from yourself, but from your partner as well, as you bond together in that union. And you don't just do it on your own strength. As believers, we say that it's God who keeps us so. And you seek God's strength in that. We don't learn to drive a car, if you've ever taken driving lessons, you don't learn to drive a car by learning what to do in the case of a crash. Right? In the case of emergencies, is what you do. doesn't teach you how to actually drive the car. Those are emergency situations. Those are specific situations. You learn to drive to avoid those situations. And so Jesus points us to the instruction manual. He points us to creation. He points us to God. And in verses 6 and 9, we see what's called, if you remember when we studied the confession of faith, in Latin we call it the analogia scriptura, which is the principle that Scripture sheds light or interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. So when there is confusion or misunderstanding or perhaps You know, half the picture, Deuteronomy 24, if that's the sort of in your crash, this is the manual what to do in your emergency, this is not to be read in a vacuum because the Bible begins from the very beginning of its pages with God making male and female in his image, having them married in purpose to build a family, to multiply. Verse 7 reminds us of the vow of marriage, that two come together to hold fast to one another and to become one flesh. Once two, now one. And God does this work in them to bring them together. And then those last words of warning, let no man separate. In other words, separation is not the goal. It should not be considered in marriage. And it's not just the default thing you point to as soon as something goes wrong. So why does Moses give law to this, you might ask? Why is it in the Bible at all? God gave Moses' law not to govern divorce, but to give reason to leave a spouse in the case, in in, in the reality of a fallen world with fallen realities where divorce was actually possible. In initial state in the garden, divorce is not something that we could conceive. Only in a fallen world could this be. And in a fallen world, God gives governing laws to help us, guide us away from that. Don't commit adultery is how we should be reading it, not as soon as I find adultery, I'm like, you know what I mean? And even in the case of adultery, some scholars write in verses 10 to 12, And this might be a hard pill to swallow for many of you who think otherwise. But Jesus perhaps leading us to understand that even in in the covenant of marriage, even something like adultery is something we should first seek to forgive than to rebuke. Certainly you rebuke the sin, but I mean to forgive the person as Christ forgives us for what sin is not washed away by his blood. It's interesting, this thought, teaching God gave instruction to protect marriage is how we read Deuteronomy 24 to limit those who would go down this path to uphold marital relationships he also gave it to protect those who were in relationships that were damaging and wrong and to protect as many scholars have written the women specifically because of male abuse note how both Deuteronomy 24 and Jesus teaching today uphold the equality of genders in marriage equality in the sense of value That although the male is head and role, he is not greater in value than his partner. God is the one who is truly overseeing, and God is the one who governs marriage and the partnership of believers. The dividing line and understanding between the Pharisees and Jesus, and the difference in heart between the two, is that one sought to place control in the hands of people, and the other to yield that control to God. The idea and thought is that a marriage that honors God highly will be a blessing in many ways, in themselves, and themselves ultimately blessed in longevity of the relationship and continuity in the relationship and the prosperity of it. This is how Jesus reads Deuteronomy 24 in light of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's an incredible thing. And the Pharisees are completely missing this point. And they're bringing an issue up to Jesus, trying to trap him, and Jesus is saying, Look to God, look to his heart, look to see what he has designed for us to be good for us. So what are we supposed to take out of this? Some of us are married, some of us are not. Some of you may be or may have been affected by divorce, perhaps your parents or others that you may know. And in the future, it might be a reality for some of us, truth be told, that we have to deal with some of these things. We're a young congregation. We're not all there yet. Marriage is not an easy thing. The last two verses make it plain. And to some, this has been the passage that they have used to argue that Jesus does not allow or permit divorce on any grounds. Some have used these verses for those purposes. And I wouldn't fully disagree with them. In fact, I don't even know if i disagree with them. Divorce is strictly forbidden, as some would say. And he teaches this in a house, which in Mark's gospel means more specific teaching, right? Anytime they're in private and in a house, it's a specific teaching to his disciples. And there he makes it very clear. Divorce your partner, find another, that's adultery. There's no mention of adultery or other permissible reasons. Just makes it sort of black and white here. Of course, in Matthew 5 and 19, Jesus speaks on divorce and he tells us more about his views on divorce and he gives some permissibility on the count of adultery but it's admittedly hard to conclude either way whether Jesus is fully outright saying in this New Testament era divorce cannot be for the believer on no grounds can you divorce or if he allows it on the account of adultery now because of fallen realities around us it's hard to really navigate these issues at times but here I am again thinking like our Pharisees, thinking about how, what's the low permissibility over the high commands of God. And why, do we, why does my mind keep leaning towards thinking these things, about these things in this way? Because of a fallen world. Many of us have experienced the reality of divorce, as I mentioned earlier, and either you know, it could be in your families or others or some, perhaps even in your own personal life you might be dealing with this. I don't think anyone here is dealing with it, but in the future you might, it's true. And I don't wish it upon anyone. I just, it's the reality of the world we live in. So here's what James Edwards writes and reminds us of where Jesus' sights were set in this text. Jesus, he writes, does not conceive of marriage on the grounds of its dissolution, but on the grounds of its architectural design and purpose by God. Human failure does not alter that purpose. As we have a high view of God, may we have a high view of what he has designed. That should be our hope. But when the car crashes, we can turn to Scripture for guidance in those emergencies. Let us not seek out being in those cases. Let's not even expect us to be in those cases. Let's hope for the best, that we'll have a safe ride home, that we'll drive safely, if you will. I think that's what Scripture is trying to govern in our lives, right? A faithful life and journey with Christ. And even in the stewardship of our marriages with our partners. This is also not to say this, that anyone should feel unforgivable shame as a result of being in such a situation. For we know that forgiveness is offered to all on the basis of Christ's mediation and one's faith in Christ alone. So we are not to judge others who are perhaps found in such guilt and shame and say, and think lowly of them. We need to be cautious in how we operate. No sin cannot be washed by the blood of Christ. We know this to be true, but as believers, let us look instead to honor God in all facets of life to the highest degree as the Spirit empowers. And as we look to our great Savior, may we find hope and guidance. For what do we see in this text? And do you see it, brothers and sisters, but the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The union between Christ and the church in Revelation is described as a marriage of all things. A wedding will be held on that faithful day on which Christ will claim his bride, the church. Where we can fail in our earthly marriages, Christ will not in his. He will uphold and perfect in his own marriage to us the people of God. He will do perfectly that which we can only hope to do. He is our example thus even in our marriage. Perhaps why we quote Ephesians so much in every every reform wedding I go to. It's, you know, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, right? Every single reform marriage, right? he will do perfectly that which we can only hope to do he is our example in our marriages in in our earthly marriages for the covenant he makes with us is everlasting and cannot be broken and the unfaithfulness that we can display in our human marriages is no reality in his heavenly christ is perfectly faithful to us even when we are not to him, he does not appeal to Deuteronomy 24 as grounds to dissolve himself from us. Rather, he pays the price of our wrongdoing. He says to his bride, Believe in me and what I have done for you, that you will be kept in this union. He holds fast to us, even when we don't hold fast to him. His life, death, and resurrection point us to a bridegroom far greater than any man can ever be, a partner perfect in every way, taking on the most imperfect of partners and willing to keep us as covenant people, not on our performance, but rather on the basis of his obedience to God on our behalf. He did what we could never do so that we could have him who we could never deserve. Praise him for he teaches and demonstrates perfect love as he brings us into union with him. Let's bow our heads and reflect on what God has taught us today. Let's rise from our seats and sing together as we reflect on God's response to God's teaching today. Chris is gonna pray for our offering today. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I would take to take this time to thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to safely gather here to be able to worship you freely and listen to your word. Thank you for blessing us with wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray that we would be blessings to one another by helping each other grow in our relationship with you, Lord. I'd also like to lift up a prayer for john and his family may you watch over them bless them and whatever your will may be i pray that they remain to look to you lord and keep you in the center of their lives may you continue to watch over us and guide us in the highs and lows and help us to make sure to keep you as a focus point in our lives thank you for everything and in just in my pray amen amen you may be seated just a few announcements today first of all welcome to sheep gate it's your first time it's a pleasure and honor to have you here and uh, to be joining us in uh, worship of God. Offerings can be sent via e-transfer, sheepgatefellowship, at gmail.com, or we also have a box in the back with envelopes. I just gotta write your name on the envelopes so we can allocate it properly. Um, and if you'd like to give towards our missionaries, either in Asia Minor or locally, uh, please just note that in the notes section, either on the envelope or in your e-transfers. Please join us for fellowship. Uh, that means food, following service, Uh, food and good talks actually Uh, today we have uh, it's the first of uh, we usually do this on the last sunday of each month we didn't get a chance to do it last week so we're going to break up into small groups today and sit in our tables and just kind of discuss what we took away from the sermon this is a little difficult of a sermon to take away much but i hope that you did take away something and i am interested to hear some of the conversations that arise perhaps out of some of the things we learned today Uh, so our welcome team will kind of guide us in the allocation of those things uh, so yeah, they'll they'll let you know where to sit and who to be with, and then just take a moment to discuss things as you eat together. I think it'd be a really great time of fellowship. Following that, we'll have a short break, and then we'll start our confession study. Um, so once the dishes are done and all that stuff, we'll get into our Westminster Confessions, and we'll continue on in our chapter on sanctification. Or are we done sanctification? We might be done. Uh, we might be in 14 now. So please join us for that, if you are willing and able. Bible studies on Thursdays, 6.30 p.m. at the other church building. Uh, We're having a fantastic time going through the Gospel of John. It's been really profitable for me. If you'd like to join, you are more than welcome to do so, and you're more than welcome to invite guests if you like. Um, Newcomer dinner. So if if you haven't been in our church for a while or you're kind of relatively new to our community, we'd like to invite you to a special dinner on November 17th. It's a Friday evening at our other church building. We're just going to get some free food for you all. We would like to just kind of take some time to, A, get to know you, and B, for you to get to know us, what our church is about, what we believe in, uh, why we do service a certain way, why we teach certain things. Uh, We'd love to answer some questions you may or may not have about the church. Uh, And if any of you have, you know, friends that you might want to bring out to church, uh, this might be a good opportunity to do that as well. Now, there is a seating capacity. Uh, Doesn't mean to discourage anyone from bringing anyone, Uh, but just please talk to our welcome team, uh, and uh, they'll be able to help you out there so that's welcome dinner. We have a birthday to celebrate. It's, today is David Chung's birthday, right? Am I correct? I'm glad you're here, because uh, you, you don't miss your birthday Sunday, There eh? you go, David. <laughs> Come on up. This is a book I'm reading lately. It was so good. I just wanted to give it to you, man. It's actually, it's called It's Good to Be a Man. There you go. Enjoy your book. Um... But yeah, wonderful time. Uh, Hopefully, David, you have a wonderful birthday and uh, able to celebrate it well with family and friends. Uh, So happy birthday to you. Um, I don't think I have any other announcements. Am I missing anything? Uh, No, I'm not. Um, Yeah, just final announcement. Just please continue your prayers for John and uh, his wife. Um, One really amazing update is uh, they started family worship, something they didn't really have implemented in their sort of life prior to this season. Um, But uh, they started a couple weeks ago, and they've been doing it daily, actually, just gathering together as a family, singing, praying, reading word. And so I just uh, purchased some um, material for them to follow. I sent it over to them, and um, yeah, they're really enjoying it. And they just want to thank all of you for praying for them. Um, They're very grateful. Uh, They will be visiting next week, likely, like 90% chance, where we get a chance to just kind of interact with them and pray for them in person as well. So please encourage them, and uh, when they do visit, Um, and their kids as well. So let's rise from our seats and offer the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, please join us for fellowship. In the meantime, greet one another, and we'll see you at the other building.